Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Jonathan Alexander here with Brooks Cabina for another episode of Texas Sports Nation. We have the perfect episode coming off of bye week. We have breaking news on a Monday, which, you know, doesn't often happen, but uh, the Texans and Jack Easterby parted ways on Monday. Well, that's what they said, parted ways. You know, Brooks, you've been doing the reporting on it, and this Easterby has been there since 2019, and this is kind of a move a lot of people saw coming. You know more about this. You have the history, uh, having covered the team for a little bit longer than me and having followed the team for a lot longer than me. Uh, what did you make of what happened today? Yeah, the bye week presented a good platform for the Texans and Jack Easterby to part ways. And uh, this is a decision that's made by ownership. Cal McNair uh, firing Jack Easterby here in reading between the lines. Um, this is a situation where it has started to make sense ever since Nick Casario got hired. Uh, Jack Easterby who is probably the, he is, I'm going to take the probably out. He is the most enigmatic executive that's ever been in Houston professional football history, where his role has reached so many different places. And I think if you went out on the street and asked somebody, what did Jack Easterby do in his four years? They wouldn't know how or to what extent exactly still. Um, I mean, his job title afforded him a lot of flexibility, um, but whenever he... Uh, was with Casario. It was pretty clear towards the end that he uh, worked just with football operations, and that can that itself can extend to a lot of things: the weight room, the the training staff, the uh, different departments of uh, of technological functions. But um, the main thing there was that there were only three people below uh, three people as high as uh, Jack Easterby was um, in terms of the power structure of the Texans under Cal McNair. It was it was Jack, it was Nick Casario, and it's a team president, Greg Grissom. None of them could fire one another. None of them could report to one another. They were all on the same platform. So whenever Easterby reached into something else or caused, caused some criticism, um, the only person that could do anything about it was Cal McNair. And I think that's kind of one of the things you look about here, just on field productivity. Um, you could make a good argument that this decision is two years too late. When Easterby and Bill O'Brien worked together, um, I, mean, I think one of the main things about this, Jonathan, that was really strange is that um, you look at Easterby, I don't think there's anyone else in football history that, exceeded the, their qualifications like Jack Easterby did, who began his career as a character coach with South Carolina and then became a team chaplain for the Chiefs and then did character coaching with the Patriots. That's interesting. Let me 
I'm going to turn this into a daily episode. For those of people who are kind of in similar situations as me, kind of new, kind of coming in, tell me how it started there. How did Jack Easterby get into the position that he's in? When he, when he was in New England, the, the main thing that I think is interesting, whenever the Texans made him uh, interim GM, the, Bill Belichick was um, interviewed about Jack and to talk about Jack. And he, and, he, and he he was very, he gave him a lot of praise and said that he was the kind of person who could connect with a lot of people throughout the organization from coaches to the owner to, you know, janitors throughout the stadium. And he was able to unify people in that way and connect with people that way. But in the same breath, Bill, Bill Belichick was asked, well, did you expect he would be in like as an interim GM? And he said, Easterby, Jack is not a personnel person. No. Um, and that was just a statement of fact. Um, he had never been a part of that before. So whenever he joined the Texans, that was initially his role was a team developmental type person. And when Bill O'Brien, who he, um, he was a power hungry coach. I mean, he was a good coach, but a power hungry executive. And uh, Brian Gain was fired two months after uh, Jack Easterby showed up. And that was partly because Bill O'Brien wanted more control of personnel decisions. And when Easterby arrived, he had been in so many different types of things with the New England that Bill O'Brien entrusted him to be part of contracts and negotiations. And the contracts that the two of them negotiated over the course of that year are still providing the ramifications that are keeping the Texans below mediocrity. You look at the dead money hit, they're second in the NFL with players that are still not on the roster. And those are contracts that used to be negotiated. So um, whenever O'Brien was fired after an 0-4 start in the 2020 season, it was expected that Easterby would be gone too in reference to that. But um, he was relegated back to the role that he was more suited for. Um, but even as Casario uh, came into the Texans and uh, was part of creating the dynamic again to where he absorbed all the personnel decisions again, um, it became clear, obviously, to this point that the departments that Easterby was overseeing can run by themselves. And they are now under Casario. All the departments have a head. And after the end of the year, we'll see if there's a uh, an Easterby replacement. Uh, I think it would be more of a um, more of an overseeing manager for all those departments. I think there would probably be a very precise role, or maybe they decide to proceed just how it is, and Casario just oversees all the department heads and let them do their jobs as as they're doing them the rest of this year. So, I mean, it was it was quite quite a quick ascension for where he used to be was to where he ended up. You mentioned the contracts, the bad contracts that happened. I'm sure some trades involved. What made him so polarized? Part of that, you start off with the DeAndre Hopkins trade, which was whenever him and Bill O'Brien start working together in terms of personnel. And that's a trade that goes down as the worst in NFL Houston professional sports history. Part of what, People associate the rest of those two. So you have contracts with uh, Zach Cunningham and Whit- Whitney Merciless, Bradley Roby, all these extensions to players who probably deserved extensions. But you look at the millions of dollars in guaranteed money that they received. All of them had at least $8 million in guarantees. That's a signal that those players are going to be around long term. And 
whenever Casario showed up, a person who had a, a, a reputation for being part of the Patriots' success and knew about contracts and players and value and all of that, once those players don't even last beyond a year, you understand that there is an, uh, on one side Easterby and O'Brien were not making contracts that made sense. So the schism of a team, um, Easterby and O'Brien became the face of a franchise that for a long time had been pushing to become a Super Bowl contender. And in 2019, they were up 24 to nothing on the Chiefs in the divisional round, a, a team that eventually went to the Super Bowl and blew it and then started making a lot of drastic changes that set the team back. And part of that um, was an unforeseen deal um, in some ways with Deshaun Watson. Easterby uh, was integral in the extension that Deshaun Watson got, a four-year, $160 million contract extension. And then after the year, when they went 4-12, and um, O'Brien was fired after an 0-4 start. O'Brien and Watson worked together in the offense. And after all these players started departing, People forget that before all of the lawsuits came out against Watson, he issued a trade demand. And Easterby received some of that blame along with O'Brien just because of the state of the franchise, and they weren't able to get things going. So, I mean, all of those things combined contributed to um, even towards last year um, when Easterby was completely uninvolved in personnel decisions. Casario did all the signings, all the trades, all of the draft picks and Easterby just happened to be on the sideline and would sometimes be seen behind David Culley on television and drew just ire, just straight anger from Texans fans. And he had nothing to do with it, but just the, just the remembrance of, of how far they'd fallen and that he had represented a lot of that change. So, um, you know, that's, that's what's kind of interesting here, Jonathan, about the departure is that, um, Cal McNair and the Texans have done a lot the past offseason to try and galvanize the fan base again and make them consider this team a winner again. And whether it's fair or not, Jack Easterby resembled mostly um, anger and uh, from the fan base. And the response today um, has been, uh, if, if there were an approval rating, it would be pretty close to 100. Um, and whether that's fair or not to Easterby, um, that's that's a decision that can galvanize a fan base in some ways. So, so what was your understanding of why they had kept him around so long, considering they took away a lot of his powers and 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 what he was able to do um, after Casario was hired, especially coming into this year? It was an understanding that he was in a role that he was not qualified for and he was being moved to one for which he was. And there was also the dynamic that him and Casario worked together for five years in New England. Uh, they were friends. They, uh, even though the Texans, um, they, they had been trying to get Casario for years. They twice, maybe three times tried to get Casario, uh, before they ultimately hired him. And that was even with the late Bob McNair, who tried to hire Nick Casario before Jack Easterby was even brought from the Patriots. So while, while I used to be had a role in getting Casario finally in, uh, I think you'll remember the second time 
the the Patriots filed tampering charges that were later dropped against the Texans because Easterby was at their Super Bowl ring ceremony, um, and they thought that he might have been trying to recruit him illegally. Um, but that that dynamic between him and Casario um, was helpful too, um, and the. Texans and Easterby himself, I mean, they didn't do much to quiet the anger from the Texans fan base or to try and dissipate any of the disdain against him. Um, in 25 months from the time that he spoke about Watson's contract extension to now, Easterby's only interview was with a couple of kids in a Philadelphia-based podcast. Um, the only time that he really had any defense was when Nick Casario went on Sports Radio 610 in January and said that some of the criticism against Easterby was unfair and that he'd just kind of been a punching bag since he got here. So um, that represented another chance for Easterby to kind of go back to a different role, oversee uh, football operations and do that only. And uh, from that until now, provided Cal McNair and the rest of the Texans organization to uh, see clearly his job and evaluate his performance against that. And ultimately they've decided that it's, it's good for him to go. Now you move on from Jack Easterby. Don't know where they go from here, but in what ways does this make the Texans different or in what ways does this change things for their front office? Do you believe? Ultimately it creates a situation where the departments are now leaded by their own department heads and they report directly to Nick Casario. That in itself gives a somewhat of a streamlined power structure where Greg Grisman, the team president, oversees kind of the business side of the Texans. But all of those things now are under Casario. So now to go back to that punching bag metaphor that Casario used in his interview with 610, the punching bag has been removed. So now anything that happens with the Texans going forward on field ultimately rests upon Casario. Because if you remember in the coaching search earlier this year, Easterby's influence couldn't be ignored. Um, the One of the things he did as an interim GM was sign Josh McCown as a quarterback to the practice squad. Months later, uh, whenever they were trying to hire um, uh, the head coach that ultimately was David Culley, um, Easterby secured an interview for McCown. And then this year he interviewed twice and they almost hired him to be the head coach. Uh, it wasn't until uh, the very end that they interviewed Lovey Smith. And that was after Brian Flores, who was a candidate for the Texans job filed a racial discrimination lawsuit. So Easterby's influence couldn't be ignored. Now with him gone, all of this goes on Casario. And uh, that's the immediate change going forward. So you, you can talk about today being um, relief um, in some ways for the fan base or for some certain parts of the departments within the Texans franchise. But now the responsibility is uh, ultimately resting on Casario. So at the end of the year, um, does he decide to that he needs help, that he's going to hire someone else for this? Um, that's kind of the main change. So all of those operations, which extended in a wide manner, um, those are all just now functioning upon themselves. So they're without Easterby's influence. And uh, in, in some ways that could help in the sense that they're not reporting to someone who could be stretched too thin and is pushed across different departments and trying to influence those things. 
or and it also could provide them clarity and who they report to and what what's going on. So that's kind of the immediate factor. I don't think anything to the immediate signings or free agents or any of that, because Casario already had that. You know, something I saw that was interesting on social media was a lot of the talks around in Andre Johnson. And I saw previous reports that I think he was on um, one of the podcast, the podcast with Brandon Marshall is it I am athlete podcast. And he said, I guess a year ago, that part of the reason he left really left was because of Jack Easter being, I was looking on his uh, Instagram and, he seems to be kind of entertaining the thought of, you know, I guess lobbying to come back, which is uh, interesting. Andre Johnson, he was the most outspoken of any Texans or player or former player about Jack Easterby. It was uh, January or February of 2021 when he said on Twitter that nothing good had happened since Jack Easterby had gotten there. And that obviously surrounded uh, the Watson trade, um, demand and all of that. Uh, but I mean, if, if, I mean, to be clear, when Andre Johnson was here, his role was not Easterbees. Like I, if, if Andre Johnson were to return to the Texans, it would be a very more of a character coach team development type role. And he was really just an advisor, um, just there around the team being available. And in some ways that's what a character coach is. So that role would make sense if that's what Andre Johnson wanted to come back and do. But if you were talking about uh, an executive vice president of football operations, that would not be Andre Johnson. Or really, you could argue that that's not a job that the Texans want to fill right now because it created a lot of dysfunction and disdain throughout the fan base and internally over the past couple of years. If um, and so, I mean, if that draws Andre Johnson back into the fold. I think what that more says is that there is a reunification of a previous era that was upset by Easterby's presence and is now connected to the current regime that's being led by Casario. And last year, um, Andre Johnson came to a game, I think it was the Titans game, the very last one of the year. He sat in the McNair suite, watched the game, was part of the part of the franchise was came around uh, to the facility, saw everything. And he, he, he gave a lot of confidence in Casario. He's already spoken about how he is confident in his direction with the team. So if he were to return, uh, I think it would be more that kind of role. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Um, it kind of reminds me of some other kind of similar situations I've seen around the league. And one that comes off the top of my head right now was, you know, Steve Smith with the Carolina Panthers when he kind of got cut by Ron Rivera and, he had a bad a bad history with them and they kind of had a, a ring a ceremony, not a ring ceremony for him, but a recognizing of him. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that's important to fans when your your best players feel like they're part of the the franchise in some way, even if it's in a, a special advisor role. So that was I thought that was interesting just to see him entertain the thought of coming back uh, to the Texans in some role. So and it. And the fact that he would do it right after, right, you know, Jack Easterby's, you know, firing or laying off or however you you want to correctly characterize it, I thought that was interesting. Around that time as well, there was two very deeply reported Sports Illustrated stories about Jack Easterby's role with the team, and um, I, I believe it was over forty people that were interviewed. This was prior to my time 
here covering the Texans, but I mean, a lot of the report between that with Jenny Vrentis and Greg Bishop in that story, a lot of how uh, uh, showed that um, it, some some of Easterby's interactions with players were um, awkward and out of place, and he was perceived as someone that was power hungry and working through uh, to 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 reach um, influences that he was not uh, qualified for. So uh, that really ignited um, a lot of a lot of the reaction for uh, uh, fans towards Easterby and towards the Texans. And, uh, and obviously that was a very volatile time for the Texans as well, coming off of a um, fired coach, a departing franchise quarterback, and then all the civil lawsuits that followed. And then the one and done David Culley year. So everybody had a lot of reasons to be ticked off. And uh, Easterby took the brunt of a lot of it because he was the one left and had a lot to do uh, at least with the contracts and, and the and the personnel decisions along with O'Brien. Well, we have just a few more minutes left in our show, but before we part ways, we'd be remiss if we didn't get to a little bit of part ways. Yeah. A little <laughs> bit <laughs> a little bit on the on our on the Texans upcoming game against the Raiders. They play Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, there is a game. Yeah, there is a game. One in four Raiders. At one point in the season there were two winless teams. The Raiders and the Texans, neither of them are winless anymore. But, you know, this might be a chance for the Texans to get another win, to string together another win. And I think my thoughts are the Texans, and I want to ask you what your keys are, but I think my keys right now are they've got to prevent explosive plays, especially with Devontae Adams. You know, he's definitely the best wide receiver. And he's playing. He's playing. They're going to hold off any uh, of of the decision with him there. He benefited with the bye week as well. So he's going to, he's going to be a factor. The Texans have to limit those big plays. And then Josh Jacobs is playing really good. Somebody who struggled last year, but is having had two big games past two games, um, 200 yard games and three touchdowns in the past two games. And we know that the Texans struggle against the run. So um, those are going to be two key things that the Texans are going to have to do in order to beat the Raiders. What do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, the Raiders, you mentioned it. They're one and four, um, but a lot of their games have been closed. They played the Chiefs really well. They've played tough teams. Um, I mean, the, the the Texans, for you know the one win that they have against the Jaguars, which have been struggling lately. Um, you know, it's 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 a situation that I think the things that the Raiders haven't been able to finish for, they'll be able to finish against the Texans. I mean, they were up, I think, twenty to nothing against the Cardinals before they came back. Um, they were up big against the Chiefs before they came back and lost. These are really quality opponents. And uh, you mentioned a couple of very explosive offensive players that hit on spots that the Texans have been vulnerable, especially Josh Jacobs. The run game has been terrible for the Texans, just to be blunt about that. And I, I think that the Raiders are at home. They're prepared. They're coming to a spot where they need to start stringing together some wins if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive. And um, the Texans are, um, you know, I, I still think their offense leaves a lot to be desired. Damian Pierce is obviously a big part of the game. He had a great, great game two weeks ago, was able to uh, approach 100 yards for the second time of the year. I, I just don't see them outscoring the Raiders. 
I, I don't see that happening unless they're able to string the play clock together to work to their advantage as a run team. Um, but um, uh, for those for those reasons, I just think they're they're far too explosive. The Raiders for um, you know the, the Texans to be able to keep up offensively. I agree. I mean, the Raiders' defense isn't nearly as good as it was last year. Not that it was that great, but the Raiders do have an explosive offense, and that's going to be hard for the Texans to keep up with. I, I didn't see enough. Of, I, I thought Davis Mills has improved over the last two weeks, but I haven't seen enough to say, oh yeah, he can do it. Um, I got to see a lot more from Davis Mills before. I start picking the Texans to win in any upsets again. So, well, they got a lot of guys that could be coming off of injury too. I mean, we could be seeing Christian Harris for this first time. Yeah, and and that could certainly help. Tavier Thomas could come off. He's eligible. You know, they're getting healthier at the right time. Nico Collins, uh, even though he didn't practice, he says that he's for sure playing. You know, the Texans should be healthier, so this should be good for them. But. I still think it's going to be a tough game. So uh, let me get, I want to give, I'm going to part on a score prediction. Um, I'm going to say that the Raiders win and I'm going to give 28 to 20. They beat the Texans, 28, 20. What about you? Okay. See, we're recording this on a Monday here and I'm always the procrastinator. Uh, one of our editors, Greg Rajan, always <laughs> texts me. He's like, get your pick. In. <laughs> so now I got to make a prediction on Monday. That'll probably change by Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. Okay. I'm just going to say 31-17. I'm going to give the Raiders 14 points because I, I think that'll probably happen. Okay. And is that 14? I was told there would be no math. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just uh, – I, I, I think – I still need confidence in the offense and I, and I don't squarely see um, if, if Nico Collins isn't available, then that would make that number shorter, I mm-hmm. believe. But uh, I just like the Raiders a lot. I thought they looked good against the chiefs. I'm surprised they were able, they, they blew that one. Um, but um, this one's, it's a crazy place, man. I'm looking forward to it. I've never been to, never been to Vegas one, never been to that stadium too. You've, been You've there? never been to Vegas at all. Never been to Vegas. I've been to the airport. That doesn't oh, count. Wow. Oh yeah. I went to a slot machine. I saw my mom pull the thing and then she lost and that was it. That's all. I don't, I don't remember anything. I don't else. think there's been a year since 2017 that I haven't been in Vegas. So, so that's your spot. It, it, it's not one of my favorites cause I'm not a gambler, but I always have to go. For, How's it not one of your favorites? You'd be there every day, every I have year to go for work every year for different jobs, college basketball, NFL. Okay. For various reasons. So we'll get you to the craps table. We got, yeah, I can't, I can't, I gotta, I gotta see, I gotta see the hot hand. I gotta, I got I need new I can't luck. lose it. Need I can't lose luck. any more money after, you know, failing to sell these Braves tickets that I bought. <laughs> so, okay, you're you're gonna drop that without explanation. <laughs> all right, so Jonathan, all right, you go, you go, you're gonna tell. You can tell. I, I, I'm still hurt about it. How many did you get? Six tickets. I got eight. You got eight tickets. We used four of them for the second game. You used four, and you thought you'd sell four more, but you ate those tickets. Ate the first, ate, ate for the game one tickets. How many? Fifty dollars. Fifty bucks. A Fifty dollars each. Okay, yeah, we're we're gonna go back. We're gonna go back to. We're gonna win it all back in Vegas. It's gonna be all right. We're gonna buy Astros tickets. Is what's gonna happen, and then we'll be able to sell no. those. Those are the, you don't got to worry about yeah, that. That that'll so, be a, a much sure. That'll be a much better, you know, sell than than what I had to go through a one o'clock game. Why did they make it a one o'clock game on a weekday? That's just ridiculous. Oh, the Braves Yes, game? the MLB, they were the ones who messed me over. They made it a one o'clock game one game, so nobody... Go call up Rob Manfred. Go see if he'll talk to you. need to find his number. 
<laughs> well, thanks for listening, as always. Again, Jonathan Alexander, Brooks Cabina. Please check us out on HoustonChronicle.com slash sports for more content on Houston Texans. Until next week. Peace.